Welcome to Foothill Christian American Canyons podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and blesses you. Well, I'm glad you're here because today um, we're going to begin a new series that I'm going to be teaching on, which is called Pursuit. Pursuit. Everybody say Pursuit. And what it's all about is pursuing God, seeking God. And um, let me just share something right now. Have you ever desired something really bad? And I'm not talking about pizza or ice cream, but something large, a goal. You had a goal that you wanted to accomplish. Maybe it was just getting a bachelor's degree. Maybe it was a master's. Maybe it was a PhD. A goal that you, it took years and years for you to accomplish. I think all of us have had goals like that. There was a gentleman that uh, years ago, as long as he could remember, he had wanted to find the wreckage of the Titanic. All of us remember the great ship, the unsinkable ship. Okay, and let me just start this story by saying those same people that designed the ship said nothing could sink that ship. Don't ever say never. Amen? That's a lesson we learn in life. But this man grew up in, in uh, San Diego. His childhood home was in San Diego, California, near the water. And it sparked his lifelong fascination with the ocean. And in 1967, everybody say that was a long time ago. <laughs> After graduating from college, Robert Ballard joined the U.S. Navy, where he was assigned to the Deep Submergence Group at the Oceanographic, Oceanographic Research Institute in Massachusetts, that's a tongue twister there, where he began his illustrious career with submersibles. With the help of these submersibles, Ballard explored many shipwrecks and mapped much of the ocean floor. But he never forgot about the Titanic. So he was doing this throughout the 70s and then into the early 80s. In 1985, with the help of the United States Navy, Ballard was able to find the resting place of the Titanic. The first person to see the wreckage of the Titanic since it had sunk 73 years prior. He had pursued his dream until it finally had become a reality years later. Anybody ever pursue a dream? and watch it fulfilled years later? I think a lot of us can say, yes, we have fulfilled dreams and seen them fulfilled years and years later. Robert Ballard is a great example of what it means to pursue or seek something. But how many know here today there's a greater treasure than riches, than finding a sunken ship? Amen? There's a greater treasure than that. And that's your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Your relationship with your Heavenly Father is something worth pursuing. Amen? I want you, uh, we'll have this up on the screen for you. The sermon text where I'll be reading from today is found in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 55, and I want to read to you two verses, verses 6 and 7, and this is out of the New Living Translation, and you're going to be getting a handout so you can keep for your own notes. This uh, has all the scriptures that I'll be going through uh, today, so you'll have these for your own reference. But starting in verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while you can find him. 
Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. Amen. Amen. How many have read that scripture before? I'm sure you all have become familiar with it. But I want to start with this premise of seeking the Lord while you can. Seeking the Lord and what that means, what that definition is. Again, the Bible says the greatest riches or the greatest treasure is not found in riches, but it's found in in the Lord. Amen. And in developing a relationship, this this God that left us his testament, his last will and testament, desires a relationship with you. He doesn't desire tradition. He desires a deep, intimate relationship with you. Just like you have with your loved ones, he desires a relationship with you. And I want to also tell you that today, if you're here, you're not here by accident. God foreknew you would be sitting in that blue seat that you're in today. And if you tell me that's not blue, you are colorblind. But he knew that you would be in these seats today, amen? And he knew that you would be here to listen, to receive this word that each of us need to hear. And maybe you're here this afternoon and you are sincere in seeking the Lord. You really are sincere. You want to know him. You desire to know more of him. You desire to pursue him. Or maybe you've already sought him, but you want more. And you want more and you're not satisfied You want more and more of him. And that's really what the Lord desires for all of us to attain is to just get more and want more of him. Amen. But what does it really mean to seek the Lord? That's what I want to talk about for the next few moments. The Old Testament, which we just read, is written in Hebrew. All of you know that. It's written in Hebrew. And the the Hebrew word for seek seek is darash, which means to seek or to read something repeatedly and study. And my daughter Raquel can relate to that right now because she's reading and, and studying. And how many have read and studied over and over, read chapter and chapter and read it again and again and again until you can quote it? That's what the Bible says was seeking. It, it literally means, it's related to a word that means to beat a path around something because you're repeatedly going to it. I remember when we were kids, we would, my brother and I, we would go through the fields and there would always be a path that you could go through, whether the grass was high, you could always follow the beaten path because others had already walked through it. Uh, down by the Napa River or wherever we were going, it was, it was beaten down because people had been walking through it. That's what this word means to seek him, to continually beat a path to his presence. All right, everybody following me so far? Amen. If you've, let me, let me go back. To, To really seek God means more than just going to church on Christmas and Easter. I just say that right now. It just, it means more than just going twice a year. It means you beat a path there to seek his face. But Pastor Rick, I can, I can seek the Lord at home. Yes, you can. That is absolutely correct. You can pray at home. You can get in touch with the Lord. But the Lord designed the church 
The modern-day church, he established it over 2,000 years ago for fellowship, to grow, to connect, to be held accountable to each other. That's how we grow in Christ. It's not just to come to listen. It's to grow within that church. Amen? And so when we, when we read the Word of God, when we open the Bible, and hopefully your Bible at home, you don't have to do this, and blow all the dust off of it. Or maybe you don't know where your Bible's at at home. And let me tell you, if you don't have a Bible, please see me after service. I'll get you a Bible. I'll get you one. But all of us should be reading the Word of God because it is alive and it speaks directly to you. I may read the Word of God up here, but when you crack open the Bible at home and allow it to speak to you, it speaks individually to each of you. Amen? It speaks because it's alive. So that's why when we pursue and seek relationship with our loved ones, I remember, as I mentioned the last few weeks when I was talking about the love languages, and I remember meeting Anna the very first time on a Wednesday night in October, and um, I thought, well, who is this young lady? And um, she was holding a baby. And right away when I asked her, is that your baby? And she said, oh, no. This is not my baby. That was her niece, Mariah. And uh, right afterwards, we went to go have a cup of coffee. We went out to just get to know each other. And we did, but I pursued her, and she was pursuing me. That's how you develop a relationship. And everybody that's married here, has a loved one, knows what I'm talking about. It just didn't happen. You have to pursue the relationship. Are you tracking with me? So with God, I also want to remind you of this. God is a perfect gentleman. If you don't want that relationship, he will never force you to have a relationship with him. If you are content to stay outside and not have anything to do with him, he, he doesn't desire that for your life, but he will never pressure you. That's the loving God that we have. He will never do that. So again, as we desire these relationships here, these earthly relationships, in the same way we need to desire this relationship, this vertical heavenly relationship. That's how loving relationships work. He desires that you should know him, know him through his word. Our Lord was sacrificed over 2,000 years ago on the cross and again, he left his church to connect with him. How do we get to know him is the great question. Okay, Pastor Rick, I'm hearing you. But how do we get to know him? It starts with prayer, seeking by prayer. You see, if Robert Ballard was willing to work for years and years to find the remains of the Titanic in that story I just gave you, how much more should we be willing to pursue, seek for treasure in heaven? And that treasure is in the relationship, not in financial blessings. Don't, don't get this all twisted and wrong. I'm not talking about blessings financially. I'm talking about an, a, a heavenly relationship that will last for all of eternity. Because all, this body here, this life here is short. The average lifespan is 80 plus years depending on where you live, depending on whether you're male or female, and it's gone in a vapor. Yes, we are to take care of our bodies, 
But this is temporal. Eternity is forever. Eternity is forever. We need to pursue the Lord fervently and more so than any explorer. Can I get an amen? So how do we start? And I already touched on it. Number one, we start by seeking God in prayer. Seeking God in prayer. Say that with me. Seeking God in prayer. Right after the Bible says in that sermon text I read, Seek the Lord while you can find Him. In the first part of verse 6, it then adds, Call upon Him while He is near. I want to share something with you in the Hebrew language here. This is a poetry in the Hebrew language. The, in the Hebrew language, poetry aren't words that rhyme like we do in English. We, we do, you know, um, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water and so forth. That's, that's a rhyme. Hebrew language is not that way. This is called a, a, a type of uh, parallelism. It's, it's joining, it's, it's called synonymous parallelism. It's joining two sentences, and what it does is, or two phrases, by saying something twice just a little differently. This is an example of that. It's repeating something in just a little different way. So what this verse tells us is when we put these phrases together, seek the Lord and call upon Him, together they are the, si the similar things. They are the same thing. It tells us that one way to seek the Lord is to call upon Him. Everybody say, call upon Him. So, that's the next question. What does to call upon Him mean? It means to pray. It means to call out with your voice. For many years, I thought that just being silent, offering my meditation, thought, was prayer. And it can be. I'm not saying it isn't. But the definition, if you want the Hebrew definition, it's to call out audibly. And I'm going to show you through the scriptures how they did that. But to pray is to declare vocally with your mouth, Lord, as the worship songs, we're declaring, uh, 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 holy are you, Lord, and great are you, Lord, and we, we worship you, Lord, and you are worthy, Lord, and so forth. But we also pray with our, with our mouth. We declare our needs to Him. We declare when we pray for others. And, and before I forget, I want to thank you all for praying for Brother Gregory. Brother Gregory is here. Give him a big hand. He had his surgery this week. He's doing well, as you can tell. There's power in prayer. We have seen people healed. Seen people healed of many diseases. There's power in prayer. Amen? To call upon the Lord means to pray. It means to call out with your voice. So when we call out with our voice to God, we call that praying. I want to read to you Psalm chapter 18 in the book of Psalm chapter 18 and verse 6. The word says, In my distress I call to the Lord. I cry to my God for help. There's no greater example than your children. When your children are in distress, what do they do? They call for mommy. 
They call for dad, right? We are no different. We should be calling to our heavenly father who desires to hear us, who, who desires to rush in and help each of us as we seek him. But again, he is a gentleman. The Lord will never cross that line. If you don't want him, he will not cross your line. He will leave you alone. How many know that's the truth? How many know that you can go years and years of your life and the Lord won't mess with you? But you'll see him all around your life, but he'll leave you alone because you don't, have, you don't have nothing to do with him. So praying is what we mean by seeking the Lord. One way of seeking the Lord is through prayer. And when we seek God, what are we usually seeking him for? When we first begin to call on God, we're seeking him for salvation. It's when we realize that, Lord, I can't do life on my own. Yes, God gave you a brain, God gave you intellect, God gave you wisdom to use, and you should use it. But if you haven't figured this out, life is tough. Relationships are tough. Figuring out how to navigate life is tough. And without God, I'm here to tell you, it's impossible. It's impossible to navigate life without God. When a loved one passes away, how do you deal with that? unless the Holy Spirit is there to bring comfort to you. And on and on and on, I could go on about how the Lord is a blessing to us when we have Him in our life. When we seek God, we first seek Him for salvation. And that's when you and I first began to call on God, God, I need you. I want you to come into my life. Let me share with you in Genesis, the very first record of people calling upon God. Do you know it wasn't Adam and Eve? The Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God. They were with him present every day. So it wasn't like they had to call upon God. God was there. God walked with them, the Bible says. I mean, I, I have dreams about one day having that experience of just walking with God in a garden full of tomatoes and watermelons and melons and, and everything else, right? But in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26... At that time, and let me, let me just say this before I read the scripture. This is after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Their children had children, the Bible says. And then here is where this comes into play. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Why did they begin to call on the name of the Lord? Because they saw their condition. They were born in sin, unlike Adam and Eve who, who weren't. They were born in sin, and they needed an answer. They needed something to help them, and they began to call on the Lord. So they began to call on Him, and they began to pray and seek salvation from God in the book of Genesis. Another chapter here in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. The scripture says, whoever, everybody say whoever, Okay, everybody say, I am a whoever. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, but Pastor Ray, you don't know my background. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. It doesn't matter. The Bible says, not Pastor Rick, the Bible says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Doesn't sound complicated, does it? Because it isn't. 
And then, of course, the salvation scripture we're all familiar with in Romans chapter 10, where Paul was declaring and teaching us about salvation. He says here in Romans chapter 10, everyone, everybody say everyone, and say, I am everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the truth. We know that, that not everybody calls on the name of the Lord. There are people, and there is a heaven, and there is a hell. The Bible is clear on that. And there are people that believe in going to heaven, and there are people that don't want to have anything to do with God. They're, they're atheists, possibly agnostic. I work with atheists. I know what it's like to work with people that don't believe in, in, a, in a supreme being. And they believe this life is all you get. What a sad existence. I mean, 80 years and that's it? God has promised us so much more as believers. Eternity. Amen? Again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be... And the reason... You may be here today and not feel close to the Lord. And this is what I want to touch on for the remainder of our time is because of this three-letter word called sin. Sin. Everybody say sin. What is sin? Sin is a barrier between you and God. You see, before you come to know the Lord, there's a gulf. There's a gulf between you and God. And thank the Lord Jesus Christ he now spans that gulf through the cross and now allows us access to him, to our Heavenly Father. But sin also prevents us from having righteous fellowship with our Lord. It prevents us from having a relationship with him. See, the shedding of blood on the cross allows us to be in his presence. Amen? And, and if you're serious about pursuing God, then you'll be serious about prayer. You'll be serious about reading your Bible, about allowing the Lord to speak to you. Here's a simple truth. That we show how much we're pursuing God by how much we pray. By how much we pray. And I don't know about you, but if I start watching TV for any length of time, and I haven't prayed, that weighs heavily on me because I'm spending time doing something. And my high school teacher used to call it the boob tube, the TV, the boob tube, because it was meant for, for boobs, you know, in here, because it's just emptiness. There's nothing really educational, very rarely, found in a TV show. And so if I'm spending my time watching TV, which is a complete waste of time, if let's, let's be honest, and I haven't prayed, I haven't opened my Bible, that should convict you as it does me. Amen? So, so again, the question is, are you seeking God or spending some serious time calling out to Him in prayer? And that's what I'm challenging you today to, to think about that, which leads us to our second and final point this afternoon. Seeking God in repentance. Seeking, everybody say that, seeking God in repentance. A real problem exists in the church world today, and let's, let me get into that. 
A real problem exists in the church world today. It infects every Christian denomination. And that this is the problem of salvation without repentance. Salvation without repentance. We have men and women that have given their life to the Lord, that come and have an experience with God, receive salvation, but they stop right there. They choose to stop and not pass go. They choose to hold on to the past. How many know you can still have salvation and still hold on to the past, but you don't go anywhere. You stay stuck as a baby. How many have kids here? Raise your hand if you have kids. How many want to keep them as a one-year-old? Someone raise their hand. Yeah. Most of us don't want to keep our kids as one-year-olds. We want them to grow and mature. But the problem with our generation in the American church is that they stop. They're satisfied with a touch. They're satisfied by just having a, a, an experience. And that is the problem of salvation without repentance. They choose to hold on to the past. They choose to hold on to the strongholds that have kept them there all their life. They don't realize that what they're doing here in this temporal place of existence has a tremendous impact on eternity. What you do here in, this, in these 80 years, if you're fortunate enough, and nobody here is guaranteed 80 years, but if you're fortunate enough to have 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, what you do here has a tremendous impact in eternity. In verse 7 of the sermon text I read, it says, let the wicked change their ways. I was wicked. The Bible says I was wicked. I was a sinner before I came to the Lord. I'm no longer wicked because I don't do wicked things. Before you come to the Lord, the Bible identifies you as a sinner, which we all are. And until God forgives you of your sin, you are a sinner. Can I get an amen? That's what the Bible says. And so again, in verse 7, it says, let the wicked change their ways. And this is important because it's reminding us to turn from our sin. Some of you grew up doing certain things, partaking in certain vices. And the Lord said, nah, you used to do that, but you can no longer do that. And, and again, the, gen the, the Lord is such a gentleman, he will not cause fire to fall from heaven. But you've got to wonder why you're doing the things you continue to do after having come to the knowledge of who he is. Amen? The Lord is, is great. He's wonderful. He's faithful. He's loving. He's kind. He gives you peace. He gives you comfort. And yet you don't want to forsake the things that he's asking you to forsake. See, this generation has chosen to be connected to a church, maybe even get baptized, but nothing changes. Everything remains the same. They don't stop living in immorality that is so strongly condemned in Scripture. They keep on doing the same drinking and drugs and swearing like they have always done. There's no sign of repentance. There's no change in their life. Here's the question that we should all ask ourselves, and I've brought this up before. But listen to this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, 
would there be enough evidence to convict you? I want you to think about that one. Because I've had to think about that one in my life as your pastor. I want to make sure that there is enough evidence to convict me if, I'd, if I'm arrested for being a Christian. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's awful quiet in here. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. The scripture reminds us so many times of, of the reality of our lives. And here in verse 5, the scripture in the NLT version says this, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. You see, if you're seeking the Lord, if you're pursuing the Lord, you need to examine to see that your faith is genuine. Test yourself, the Bible says. It doesn't say test others. I'm not going to go up to you and test you. I'm just trying to remind you of what the Scripture is telling you to do, of you to do and you to do, to test yourself. Amen? If you're serious about seeking the Lord, you will not just pray, but you will also turn from your wicked ways, as the Scripture says. In fact, just praying without turning from sin shows that you're really not serious about this vertical relationship. Imagine if you have this relationship with your loved one, with my spouse, and she tells me, <clears throat> Rick, you got to quit. You got to quit spitting when you speak, or you got you to quit swearing. I don't swear, but imagine if we had that conversation. I said, yes, honey, I'm going to take care of that. But I continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. That relationship's not going to work. She's not going to feel loved, honored. The Lord is asking you, test yourself. Examine yourself. Amen? When we pray, let us forsake sin. Let us forsake the strongholds that have held us back. Some of us in our modern culture hold on to things that prevent us from seeking the relationship that God always had in store for you, always had in mind for you. But we want to choose to hold on to things that hold us back. As I get ready to close this afternoon, <clears throat> listen. You cannot say that you are pursuing God in a meaningful way if you are not cleansing your life from known sin. I want you to just, just close your eyes with me for, for a minute right now. Just close your eyes right now. And I want each of you to think on your life and each of you know where your heart is with God. Each of you know the things that aren't pleasing to God if there's any. And I want you to think about that right now. And as it's in your mind right now, I want you to begin to think, I need to set this aside and give it to God. I need to give it up. I need to let go of this. It could be anger. It could be bitterness. It could be unforgiveness. It could be a vice. It could be drugs, alcohol. It could be swearing. It could be pornography. It could be something that our generation struggles with. 
I want to tell you this today. As long as that remains in your life, you will never have the relationship and the closeness that God desires for you. And today, I want to invite you to stand with me today as we close. Just stand with me. And I want you to invite you right now, if you want to give that here to the Lord, I want you to come up to the front and just pray and just say, Lord, I give you this. You don't have to tell me. Tell the Lord. Just tell him, I come today. And then just like this, just give it to him. Say, Lord, I give this to you, whatever that is. And as we do, as we partake in this last song, I want invite each of you to come up. If you have something to give, if you're desiring a deeper relationship with the Lord and you seemingly can't get there and you're praying and you go to church, you read the Bible and, and you seem to be stuck, there may be something you're holding on to from your past, something that's not pleasing to God that is keeping you from that wonderful relationship he wants to have with you. You see, he wants to put his arm around you and tell you how much he loves you, how proud he is of you. Amen? He wants to tell you, you are his son, you are his daughter today. Amen? So I would invite you, come on up. Those that want to just pray and give that to God, come on up right now. Come on up and just give it to him. Thanks for listening. For more information, be sure to check out our Facebook page at Foothill Christian American Canyon.